0: Chapter eight of the Pink Shop by Fergus Hume This Librivox recording is in the public domain recording by Kehinde Chapter eight A Mysterious Communication Ralph stared at the woman, then threw himself back in his chair with a short laugh. He was greatly disappointed in the reply. It is ridiculous to believe or even hint that Madame Coralie should be guilty, he remarked sharply. She proved a very clear alibi. No less than four people, her husband and her three assistants, proved that she was in the still room when the crime was taking place below. "'Yes,' assented Miss Tote, leaning her chin on her hand and her elbow on the table. "'That is what puzzles me. The alibi is very clear, and yet, of course, you understand that I am merely theorizing.' "'Yes, yes, yes,' Shaw made an irritable gesture, for the strain on his nerves was great. But the idea is ridiculous. If you had accused that dumb girl who was in the shop on the ground floor when the crime was committed, it would have been more feasible. The bedroom is on the ground floor also. I see no reason to accuse Perry Bennu, said Miss Tote quietly. And you see a reason to accuse Madame Corley? Yes, my theory is— Oh, never mind your theory, Miss Toad. Come to facts. The detective was not at all put out by his short temper as she saw that his nerves were worn thin and sympathized with him. With a quick movement she drew the loose notes to her own side of the table. Very good, she said in a brisk, businesslike tone. Let us come to facts, if you please. Do you know why Madame Corley wears a yashmak? "'Inspector Lenton hinted something about it to me when at the inquest. "'It is to add to the attractions of the Turkish shop, "'to make it more mysterious, as it were.' "'Ah!' Miss Tote raised her penciled eyebrows. "'Then the inspector did not tell you the exact truth. "'I expect Madame Corley asked him to keep it quiet for obvious reasons. "'Obvious they may be,' said Ralph impatiently, "'but I can't see them. "'Why, they are plain enough.' The wearing of the Yashmak is partly by way of a good advertisement, as it suggests, mystery, and partly—this is the real reason, I expect—it is worn from necessity. From necessity? Shaw stared hard at his visitor. Madame Coralie has a disfiguring birthmark on her right cheek, which, extending over mouth and chin, spoils her good looks, and she must have had some beauty when younger. Strange is it not, Mr. Shaw, that she who can restore another woman's looks can do nothing with her own? How do you know that she is marked in this way? I saw it when she was asleep. But how did you enter her bedroom? asked Ralph, much astonished. The detective laughed. When everyone was asleep, I stole about the house investigating in list slippers and with a bull's-eye lantern. Madame Coralie lays aside her yashmak when in bed, so I easily saw that which she wishes to keep concealed. But why should she so very much want to conceal it? Miss Toad looked at him, greatly amazed. Have you not been listening to what I have been saying, Mr. Shaw? Why, if Madame's customers knew that she could not remove a birthmark from her face, it would be a case of physician heal thyself with them.' "'They would lose confidence and—' "'Yes, yes,' Ralph assented impatiently and waved his hand. "'I understand now, very naturally, they would doubt her capability in spite of her reputation. "'But what has this birthmark to do with the murder?' "'Nothing,' said Perry promptly. "'Yet I was glad enough to see it for all that in connection with the case. "'But never mind,' she broke off abruptly. "'We can talk of that later.' I tell you about the disfigurement because it is just as well that you should learn everything about a woman so closely connected with the death of Lady Branwyn. Also, it will be a useful mark to know in case she tries to get rid of more diamonds. What? Shaw jumped up with an exclamation. Do you mean to say that she has pawned the diamonds? In that case, she must be guilty. It would look like it, but I am only theorizing, remember. "'Oh, hang your theories, I think.' He stopped short, conscious that he had been rude to the little woman. "'I beg your pardon,' he went on ceremoniously. "'But my nerves are out of order. Don't be vexed with me. I apologize.' Miss Tote nodded in a friendly way. "'I quite understand,' she said smoothly. "'People unaccustomed to be mixed up with criminal matters usually do let their nerves get out of order, although I can't say that they usually apologize.' "'There you have the advantage of the greater part of my clients. "'But to come to business, it is now some six or seven weeks since the murder. "'I discovered by various inquiries, which I made here, there, and everywhere, "'that two months ago Madame Corley was in deep water, financially. "'Now she is more prosperous.' "'Miss Toad paused. "'You can draw your own inference.' "'You mean to say that she committed the murder in order to steal the diamonds and has sold or pawned them to realize the spoil?' Miss Toad nodded again. "'That is my theory.' The barrister put his hands into his pockets and began to pace the room, as was his custom when perplexed. "'I don't see what evidence you have to support your theory,' he remarked after a pause. "'Well, as we agreed at our first interview, Lady Branwyn only arranged in five minutes to sleep at the pink shop, and it was merely by chance that she had the diamonds with her. That the murder was committed for the sake of the jewels is positive, since they are missing. Yet any outside person could not have known that the unfortunate woman was possessed of those jewels at that particular time. Madame Coralie knew. "'Pardon me,' Interrupted Shaw, in my own hearing, she declared that she did not know what Lady Branwyn had in the red bag. Miss Toad shrugged her shoulders, naturally, for her own sake, she would say that, Mr. Shaw, but the fact remains that, owing to the rapidity and unexpectedness of Lady Branwyn's decision to sleep at the shop, no outsider could have arranged beforehand to commit the crime for the sake of the jewels but the key in the outside door of the court was. That might all have been arranged as a false clue to throw the police off the scent. "'I doubt it,' said Shaw, decisively, "'and remember that your theory is entirely destroyed "'by the very strong alibi of Madame Coralie. "'The woman could not have been in two places at once.' "'Well,' said Perry Tote cautiously, "'I stated that I suspected Madame Coralie had strangled Lady Branwyn, but I did not say that she had actually committed the deed herself. Oh, then you think she employed someone else to commit the murder. Yes, and for her own sake was careful to provide the alibi we know of. Lady Brandman came at five o'clock to the shop and was murdered, according to the medical evidence, about eight. Madame Corley had therefore ample time to tell her accomplice that Lady Brandman possessed the diamonds. Also, as Lady Branwyn talked frequently of coming for treatment, and Madame always refused her, the evening when she agreed to give the treatment might have been arranged. Madame could also explain to her accomplice about the door in the outer wall of the court and have arranged for the window of the bedroom to be open. Then, well, the rest is easy. But the woman declared that the window was shut. "'Of course, for her own sake, in the same way that she declared her ignorance of the diamonds being in the red bag. "'I said lately,' went on Miss Toad in an apologetic manner, "'that the key in the outer door of the court might have been arranged as a false clue. "'I am right in one way, as the key was, I fancy, left in the door, to avert suspicion from Madame Coralie. "'But her accomplice must have entered and escaped in that way.' And afterwards, when Lady Branwyn was dead and buried, and the inquest was over, she must have met her accomplice to share the spoil. Hence she is now in possession of money which, according to many people, she sadly needed. "'Have you traced the diamonds?' asked Ralph abruptly. "'No, and it will not be an easy task to trace them, especially if they have been unset and sold as separate stones.' "'But I am shortly going round the pawn-shops and to various fences. "'You know what a fence is, a person who receives stolen goods, I suppose, Mr. Shaw?' "'And if Madame sold them or pawned them herself, the mark may help us to identify her.' "'I think not,' said Shaw grimly, as she would probably wear a veil. "'Certainly not a yashmak,' said Miss Turt quietly. "'However, I can but make inquiries, as I say.' "'Moreover, I shall go back to the shop again and ask further questions. "'But I think, so far as I can judge, that my theory is a correct one.' "'Ralph again walked the floor. "'Who do you think is the accomplice?' "'I can't say,' said the detective promptly. "'At first I thought that Madame's husband might be the one, "'but he was with her and the three assistants in the still room, "'and can prove as strong an alibi as his wife.' "'What sort of person is this husband, and what is his name?' "'Edward Vale is his name, and he is what you would call a wastrel,' replied Perry quickly, "'one of those dandified idiots who walk the streets and dress loudly in order to attract the eyes of women. He is good-looking in an effeminate way, and has never done a stroke of work in his life. Strange that so clever a woman as Madame Coralie should marry such a character.' It is the clever woman who generally make fools of themselves in this particular way, said Miss Tote enigmatically. However, I don't think Eddie Vale—he is usually called Eddie, which to my mind stamps his character—I don't think he is the accomplice owing to the alibi, unless— The little woman paused suggestively. Unless what? Unless the three assistants have been bribed or threatened into providing the alibi. For her own sake, of course, Madame would say she was in the still room, but Zobeide, Badura, and Parissati may have been bullied or cajoled into supporting a false statement. "'It is possible,' said Shaw musingly, "'and if Madame or her husband is guilty, "'it is easy to see how they could have learnt beforehand about the diamonds. "'How can you get at the truth?' "'By working on Badura's jealousy,' She is in love with Eddie, and as she is a pretty girl, the unscrupulous scamp has encouraged her in spite of the fact that he is a married man. I intend to go back to the shop and to get her to state what she knows. If she knows anything. Quite so, but if she does, her jealousy of Eddie Vale will make her speak. I don't know exactly how to unloosen her tongue, but I shall try to. But it seems ridiculous that Eddie Vale should be in love with a dumb or blind girl. "'I didn't say that he was in love with her,' said Miss Tote dryly, "'but that she was in love with him, which is quite a different way of looking at the matter. Moreover, Badura, as the forewoman, is in possession of all her senses, Mr. Shaw. So Biddy is deaf, Parzade is blind, and Perry is dumb. Badura is all right, and is simply a pretty commonplace girl who has been attracted— by Eddie Vale's good looks. "'Well,' said the barrister, after a long pause, "'I hope you will be successful, although I am bound to say "'that you have no evidence that I can see "'to support your wild theories. "'They may not be so very wild, after all. "'Wait until I can make Badura speak.' "'Yes,' added Miss Tote with an afterthought, "'and Perry benue also. "'The dumb girl who was in the shop "'when the crime was committed. Hmm. "'I suppose she may know something.' "'She may. "'I am going to ask her. "'Meanwhile, I must have more money. "'Say, another twenty pounds.' "'Ralph looked rueful. "'I can get it for you to-morrow,' he said doubtfully, "'for, to tell you the truth, Miss Tote, "'I am not very well off just now. "'Can't you do without it?' "'No, Mr. Shaw,' she replied plainly. "'I would if I could. "'But it is necessary that I should go back "'to the pink shop and spend money.' as that is the only way in which I can come into contact with Padura and Peribonu in order to question them. Of course, if you wish me to give up the case— No, no, certainly not, he exclaimed hastily. I shall send you the twenty pounds to your office tomorrow before twelve o'clock. The solution of this mystery means a lot to me, and I am willing to spend my last farthing on it. I don't think you will have to do that. "'said Miss Toad, getting ready to go. "'I expect to get some tangible clue from those two girls.' "'And with this piece of comfort she departed, "'leaving Ralph rather disconsolate.' "'While the case was being examined into, "'Shaw had seen very little of Audrey. "'Sir Joseph had returned unexpectedly from Brighton, "'for he had grown weary of the seaside "'and wished to get back to business. "'Mrs. Mellop still remained at the house on Camden Hill "'as the millionaire— finding her an amusing woman to have at his dinner-table, asked her to chaperone his daughter for a longer period. The widow augured from this that Branwyn was really in love with her, and did all she could to fascinate him still further. She was glad that he had come back to be under her spell. But Ralph was far from pleased by this unexpected return, as he could not visit the house so freely as formerly. Twice or thrice he did call, but Sir Joseph was so grim and glacial in his welcome that the young man thought it was best to remain away. Also, Mrs. Mellop, taking her cue from the millionaire, behaved disagreeably and kept a closer watch on Audrey. Ralph was very unhappy, and could only see his sweetheart at odd times and in odd ways. The course of true love was not running smoothly, by any means. Shaw, however, busied himself with searching into the case with the assistance of Perry Tote. That wily person came to him again and again, and related various details which she had learnt from Badura, Parizade, and Perry Benu, which more or less helped on the matter. But so busy was the barrister in fixing the pieces of the puzzle together, for by this time he had learned some tangible scraps of evidence from Perry Tote's investigations, that he quite neglected Audrey. He was not, therefore, surprised to receive a note from her asking him to come to the round pond in Kensington Gardens the next morning at seven o'clock. At that hour neither Sir Joseph nor Mrs. Mallet was likely to be up, and Audrey would be free from their watchful eyes. Ralph promptly decided to go, but sent no answer to the note since it might fall into the hands of his enemies, for so he regarded the millionaire and the widow who wished to marry the millionaire. Early as he was at the rendezvous, Audrey was still earlier and came towards him hurriedly, a pathetic figure in her black dress. She kissed him hastily, then at once announced the reason why she had sent for him. "'I have received an anonymous letter,' said Audrey unexpectedly. "'An anonymous letter?' repeated Ralph curiously. "'What about?' "'You can read it for yourself.' She produced it from her pocket." It advises me to refrain from investigating the murder of my mother. If I do, it declares that I shall suffer the greatest grief of my life. Shaw was evidently startled. Show me the letter, he said abruptly. End of chapter 8 Recording by Kehinde